a small business where you started out as kind of a side gig or a side hustle and you've been transitioning into a more legitimate business, or maybe you're still in that side hustle phase and you've got losses in your business, you might be concerned if the IRS could disallow those losses and keep you from actually being able to take them, maybe even create an audit. So if that is you and you are in a phase of your business where you're just not profitable yet, you're trying to be, but you're not there yet, this is the episode for you because I'm going to share exactly what you need to be doing to make sure that you stay off the IRS radar and you keep from getting audited. Worst case, you get audited, but you're able to win for these tips. So listen up. Hey friend, welcome to the Small Business Finance Podcast. Do you want confidence and clarity with your business finances? Do you find yourself late at night searching for tax deductions, how to track your business finances, or QuickBooks tips? Do you wake up with big ambitious goals, but you end up feeling confused and frustrated because accounting and tax is really boring? Hi, I'm Tiffany. I've heard this so many times from my clients who used to feel this way. They feel overwhelmed about what to do with their numbers and wish they could stop the financial madness. They wanted clarity and the ability to grasp the financial basics, know who call when they had a question, and to stop worrying about owing money to the IRS. But they thought they weren't good with numbers and the overwhelm kept them stuck without any solid financial plan until they realized that business systems are the ticket to gaining financial confidence. In this podcast, you will learn step-by-step systems, easy-to-understand financial tips, and mindset transformation so that you will gain financial confidence as an entrepreneur. So dust off your spreadsheet, warm up your coffee, and let's get going. So many small business owners, they start out with some sort of a side hustle. You know, you've got a full-time job, but you have this thing that you really like to do, and you want to make money at it. Or maybe it does start out as a hobby. You just enjoy whatever that is. You enjoy making paintings. You enjoy breeding dogs. I mean, it could be a number of things, right? But when you're in that startup phase, you're not making any money. You have more expenses than you do profit. The IRS has some pretty stringent and strict rules surrounding this to make sure that you are operating a legitimate business so that you can take these losses. So I wanted to talk through that. Because it's important, if you have a business that you have losses year after year, the IRS doesn't like that. They are not really in the business to not make money. The IRS wants to bring in taxes. They want for you to be paying taxes. So if they have someone with a Schedule C business that year after year is losing money, it could trigger an audit. It could create questions where they want to make sure that you are trying to operate a legitimate business and you're not just operating a a hobby. And these are called hobby loss rules. So these hobby loss rules are, in effect, the things that you need to be mindful of and aware of so that you make sure you stay off the IRS radar. So let's talk through that so that you understand what you need to be doing. So first things first, how do these losses work? So if you have a Schedule C and you have a loss in that Schedule C business, you have more deductions than you do revenue or income, then those losses actually offset other areas of income. For example, if your husband works and you have a business that you are working on and you have losses in that business, you're trying to get it off the ground, and he makes, let's just say, $100,000 a year, your losses in your business, let's just say those losses are $10,000 a year, that $10,000 loss actually reduces his W-2 income so that you have a net benefit on your tax return. You actually have less taxable income as a result of your loss in your business. 
if you have other income, these losses are very beneficial to you. And what ends up happening is, is the IRS wants to make sure you meet certain criteria so that you can be considered a for-profit business versus a hobby business. Hobby businesses, essentially what they say is, you can take your deductions up to the amount of revenue that you bring in for the year. So let's just say you have $5,000 of revenue, you have $15,000 worth of deductions or write-offs. If you are considered a hobby, you can only take $5,000 of that, which then would mean you'd have a zero taxable event. You wouldn't have a loss. You also would not pay tax on that income. If the IRS considers you a for-profit business, then you actually were able to take the full $15,000 in deductions on that $5,000 of revenue, and then you end up having a $10,000 loss. That's really a big deal, especially when you are in the phase of your business where you are trying to be profitable, you are trying to get to that next level. You should be able to take those deductions. And the IRS, and I'll actually share some case studies here in just a few minutes, the IRS historically gets pretty aggressive with this type of thing. They try at every level to make businesses that are showing losses considered a hobby. Again, it's for their benefit. It's not for your benefit. Let's not get it twisted, but it is for their benefit. So what are the things that you need to be aware of to make sure that you can be considered a for-profit business? So the IRS actually has what they call safe harbor rules. There are two of them where if you meet either one of these criteria, then you are considered a for-profit business. So let's talk about that where you know if you actually meet these criteria. The first one is, is that they will presume or assume that your business is a for-profit business if it produces positive taxable income, in other words, revenue in excess of deductions for at least three out of the last five years. So because you had profit, taxable income in those three, three of the five years, then they allow you to take losses in the other two years because according to their rule, you look like you were in business to make money. The other safe harbor rule is pretty specific to an industry or niche. And it's actually pertaining to horse racing, breeding, training, or showing activity. And what they say is that if you were in that industry doing that type of work, that they will assume that you are a for-profit business if you have produced taxable income in two of every seven years. So they give you a couple more years if you're in those specific niches in that industry. But still, you have to show profit in two of seven years. Now, what happens if you don't meet those rules? What do you do? What kind of fallback do you have? Because it's not uncommon for more than a couple of years to lose money in a small business that's new, that's trying to just get past that initial hard time of proving concept and building up clientele and getting your systems in order. There's just a lot. And so it since it's so common that you would have losses in more than just two of the five years on that first safe harbor rule, let's see what else you can do to make sure that if the IRS were to question your intention, to figure out if you are a for-profit business that you've got your ducks in a row, you have everything documented, and you won't have to worry about this. So here are a few factors that would either prove or disprove your intent to be a for-profit business. The first one is that you're conducting business in a business-like manner. You're keeping good records. 
you're actually attempting to search out profit making strategies, you're doing things that look like you're trying to be profitable. So that is the first factor. You really have to be operating in a business like manner. The second one is, is that you have expertise in the activity or you're hiring advisors to do so. So you could either be the expert or you know enough about something that you're going to hire the expert. But either way, there needs to be some experts in your business that know what they're doing. Next thing is, is that you're spending enough time to justify the idea that this is a business versus a hobby. Some of these things are kind of gray. It's like, well, how much is enough time? They don't tell us. So that's something that you really need to work through yourself. But if it's an hour every week that you're working on this business and this business is creating a $50,000 loss every year, I'm just guessing that's not reasonable. The IRS would not be a fan of that if they really started digging in to figure out, are you spending enough time to justify these expenses? But let's just say you are working full time in this business. You're working 40 hours a week. That business creates a $50,000 loss and you are really trying to make this thing work. Well, the time factor of that being full time, that justifies the expense and the deduction of a loss, a $50,000 loss. So what's next? What else do you need to do? What are other factors that would help justify and prove or disprove the fact that you are really trying to be a for-profit business? The expectation of asset appreciation. Asset appreciation is when you own an asset in your business and that asset gains value over time. Typically, this is the most common in real estate. So if you are someone who invests in real estate, maybe you're in Airbnb business or you have VRBO or maybe you're not in short-term rentals, but you have long-term rentals or maybe you're in commercial real estate. There's a lot of different ways you can engage in real estate activity. And in that industry, this is huge. Because in real estate, you typically have losses year after year. It's not something that on paper is profitable because there are some additional deductions, specifically depreciation, that you get when you're in real estate that typically is going to wipe out all of your profit in that business. So real estate is a prime example of you having assets that you expect to appreciate over time. The next factor is that you have success in other ventures. Do you have other businesses that you are successful in? But this is just a new thing that you're trying to make some profit on, make some money on. You're trying to create a new business. If you have success in other businesses, you have that proven track record that shows the IRS that you have business acumen, that you really do know what you're doing. Another factor is, is your financial status. So if you are what would be considered quote unquote rich versus someone who is just paycheck to paycheck trying to get by, then if you're that rich person and you've got a huge business loss, it looks more like you're trying to create reduction in income versus actually create a new business. It's not uncommon for a husband to have a lot of income. He's very successful. He's maybe even works in corporate, but he makes a lot of money. He's trying to give his wife something to do and she has some sort of business and it creates a large write-off for their income, but it also gives her something to do. You have to be careful about that. You do want to make sure that it doesn't look like you're just trying to get an extra hundred grand in deductions every year. But if you're the paycheck to paycheck trying to just get this thing off the ground because you legitimately need this income, it's going to be a lot easier to prove that this is truly a for-profit business. 
And the last factor to consider is that if there are elements of personal pleasure in this business, then you have to be really careful. So let's think of an example here. If you are someone who breeds racehorses, then I would imagine that could be a lot of fun. I've never done it, but I would think that'd be pretty fun. Alternatively, if you are someone who cleans out septic tanks, you work on septic tanks, that is your business. That doesn't sound super fun to me. I would think most people, they don't think that's fun or like porta potties, right? Like that's not something that, you know, you're doing just for grins that you just love it so much. So when you compare those two businesses, the person that's breeding racehorses is going to be more susceptible to IRS audit because it looks like, well, they could really have a hobby here. This is something that maybe they're passionate about. And so we need to look into them versus the septic tank business where that's very clearly someone trying to make money. So the expectation of personal pleasure, elements of personal pleasure is definitely something that the IRS takes into consideration as well. So let's talk through a couple of case studies so that I can give you examples of people that the IRS actually went after and they attempted to throw out their deductions, their losses, and the taxpayer actually won. The U.S. tax court advocated for them and told the IRS that they were wrong and that the taxpayer actually did have a for-profit legitimate business. So let's talk about these case studies so that you know how these taxpayers won and what you need to do to make sure that you're in that same situation. So the first one is what we'll call a weekend rancher. This guy ranched on the weekends. He had a full-time job, made a lot of money, and he had a ranch that was almost 9,000 acres. And so he'd go out there on the weekend. He had a pretty big operation where he bailed hay. He did some horse breeding, some cutting horse breeding. He did some training operations. He raised cattle. There were a lot of different things that he did inside of this ranch, but it created a pretty significant loss. So essentially what happened is the IRS looked at him and said, you're a hobby. You're not a for-profit business. We're not going to allow you to have these losses. So the U.S. tax court disagreed with the IRS and they said, well, Actually, this is a for-profit business. This is not a, a, a hobby, and this is why. The rancher had kept books and records for his activity on the ranch. So he actually had good financial records that proved he was actually a business. He had a separate bank account for the business as well. So side note, I say this all the time. If you don't have a separate business account, that's a problem. In this instance, this really saved this taxpayer a lot of money because he had legitimized his business. If you are not operating your business in a way that's legitimate, you got to start doing that. Make the switch. Go get the business bank account. Get your LLC set up. Do the things that are going to show the IRS that you're truly in business to make money. You are trying to be a for-profit business. The other thing that the rancher did was he continually was making changes to improve his profitability. So he was looking at the business operations. He recognized it was losing money, but he was trying to improve on that. He also had vertically integrated his ranching operations. So with the various aspects of his business, like his hay production, he made hay so that his cattle had food. His horses had food. And then the cattle then had babies. The horses had babies. And then those babies he was able to sell or 
train in the horse situation to then sell in other ways. And so it was kind of like all inclusive where all of these things were helping other aspects of the business. So he was vertically integrated. Essentially the hay production fed the cattle raising operation, which then turned calves into use in the cutting horse operation. And so that's how that worked, which showed the IRS, no, actually all of this still goes hand in hand. So the other factors that were favorable to him was that he had been involved in agricultural activities since he was young. So this was not something new. He hadn't been in the city all of his life, and then all of a sudden he decided to buy a 9,000 acre ranch for a tax deduction just because. He had actually done this kind of stuff his whole life, and so he was very familiar with it. The other thing is, is that he hired professionals to help in various aspects, aspects of his operation. I mean, he could have very easily had someone that was managing the ranch during the week, helping with the breeding. There were other professionals that were working in the, in the business. And then he had ranching assets that were expected to appreciate in value. So because of that, the U.S. tax court said, no, this really is a legitimate business. Besides that, he also had 25 full-time employees, and those salaries were significant, between twenty-five dollars and $115,000 every year. So in this instance, the taxpayer won, which is huge. That's a big deal because he had done the right things. He was proactive. He did it long before the IRS was going to come in and give him a hard time and try to show that he was a hobby. They showed he was actually a for-profit business. So let's talk about another case study. In this case study, it was a lawyer. He had his own firm and he decided that he wanted to start restoring old cars. Plymouths, in fact. So he was trying to make a, a profit in the business, but the IRS thought he was a hobby. They threw out his losses. The tax impact on throwing out those losses would have been almost $40,000 if he had lost. He did not. <laughs> Cut the chase. I'll show you he won. But it would have been a big tax impact for him not to exclude the various penalties and interests that they would have tacked on on top of that 40 gram. So the U.S. tax court, this is what they had to say about why they ruled in his favor. Basically, they said he was running his business in a business-like manner. Now, he wasn't sophisticated in the business. It's not like he was perfect in the business, but he was running it in a business-like manner. He also had experience running and operating a business because he had a law firm. And he had expertise relating to this particular type of car, the Plymouth. On top of that, he advertised online. He had in-print advertising. And he advertised at live events. He traveled outside of the States to acquire cars at discount prices. He contracted with third parties to manufacture parts for him for resale. And he also had abandoned unprofitable aspects of his automobile activity. So he was refining his process as well and making sure that different aspects of the business that weren't profitable, he was getting rid of those and refining this process. He also devoted a lot of time to this business. And lastly, his attorney, his legal business was actually undergoing a really large downturn. So that business was not doing as well. And so basically, because he was a prudent businessman, he wouldn't have kind of squandered or wasted hard-earned money on just a hobby. That really 
was very evident that he was not doing that. So, in short, the U.S. tax court said that he was operating like a business and he was able to win that case. So, I hope this has been helpful, these two examples that I showed, because it really does prove, number one, the IRS doesn't always win. A lot of people think, oh my goodness, if I get audited, then I'm toast. The IRS is going to win. This is going to be bad. And they do. You know, it's not like they don't win. But it's a really good example of being proactive as a taxpayer, making sure that you dot your I's, cross your T's, and that you're doing things the right way. When you do that, then you set yourself up for a much greater success in battling the IRS if that day were to come. And if you haven't done so already, on episode nine of the podcast, I talk about setting yourself up to be audit proof with the IRS and making sure that you are doing things the right way. If you have not listened to that, go back and listen to that episode because I really dropped some great information on ways that you can be proactive. Being proactive really is the game on making sure that you don't have an issue with the IRS. If something does come up, then you don't have anything to worry about. So go back and listen to episode nine because it shares a lot of information on being able to audit proof you and your business. With that said, I hope you have loved this episode. It has been my pleasure to be able to share more information and help you do better at being knowledgeable about your taxes, being knowledgeable about your business finances. Fear should not be the name of the game when it comes to your business finances. I want you to be more in control and understand what is going on. So it is really my pleasure to share with you each and every week and give you the best tips out there. If you have enjoyed this podcast, I'd love it if you'd give me a five-star review. It really helps my podcast get out there and help more people, which is really the intention behind this. I want to be able to help small business owners that can't afford the big CPA firms, that can't afford the high-dollar professional fees and getting someone in to look under the hood and really dig into their business. So I want to be able to help you with that. So if it has done that for you, I'd love it for you to give me a five-star review. As always, if you have questions of me, I would love if you would email me at the address in the podcast notes. I would love to feature any questions that you have for me on a future episode. And with that said, I have really enjoyed spending time with you and I cannot wait until next time.